We do believe that there's a much bigger opportunity to impact the productivity level of manufacturing shop floors. We think that really the people that are super inspired by what they're doing because they believe they've done a great job, because they've done the things the, the things they're supposed to do next, and they've done those right. Those people will build great products, and the people who build great products will be great manufacturers, and manufacturing is the backbone of the economy. And so um, we've got this pretty big vision that we can you know, we can drive workforce productivity, workforce happiness, and outputs at the manufacturing level by delivering like really simple, um, you know, user-centric interfaces that, 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 that walk people through what they're supposed to do the right way at the right time. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Gerald Hetrick. I've actually had Gerald on the show once before. Those of you who have been with Lay of the Land from the beginning may recall Gerald as one of the first entrepreneurs to make an appearance back on episode six, which I would encourage anyone interested in learning Gerald's personal and entrepreneurial journey, co-founding and leading two companies from inception to exit, spanning his time building MCPC, Vox Mobile, and Able, to take a listen to that episode. Gerald is an incredible storyteller and sets a great stage there for our conversation here, where we pick up on where we left off and cover what has transpired in the years since. It is pretty incredible how much has changed in this interim period and how impactful Gerald has been in driving that change. As CEO of Able, Gerald led the organization through five years of 100% year-over-year growth, a $7 million Series B fundraise, and ultimately a successful exit in early 2022 to Bullhorn, a leading software platform for the staffing and recruiting industry. With the time and the space to reflect post-acquisition, Gerald resolved to be retrospective and learn from the lessons of his failures and successes over his 25 years of entrepreneurial experience. And in this time, he came to the conclusion that he loves building great companies and that so many of the issues he encountered and struggled with in the process of building great companies were self-inflicted, recognizing how much more impactful he could have been had he prioritized running on a consistent business operating system like EOS, and ultimately these operating systems provide leverage and not overhead. Collectively, these realizations amounted to Gerald becoming CEO of another Cleveland growth-oriented technology startup called Bezlio. In addition to starting his own EOS implementation practice, coaching other growth-minded leaders willing to invest in making their visions reality and their teams as healthy as possible. At Bezlio, Gerald is focused on ensuring manufacturing shop floor employees know what to do next and how to do it right, believing deeply in Bezlio's opportunity to significantly drive middle market manufacturing growth and prosperity writ large. To that end, Bezlio recently closed on a $4.5 million seed round to invest in massive product improvements, to its cloud-based enterprise resource planning platform and their overall go-to-market strategy and customer relationships. This was a really fun and candid conversation, understanding how Gerald has evolved as a leader, closing out Abel's chapter, starting Bezlio's chapter anew, and building his coaching practice in service of other founders trying to build great organizations, his approach to dreaming big and operating practically, and many other reflections along the way. So please enjoy my conversation with Gerald Hetrick after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Burden D. Morgan Mentoring at Jumpstart. It is impossible to tell the stories of entrepreneurs building in Cleveland and across Northeast Ohio without acknowledging the impact of our collective mentoring community. Over the past decade, Burden D. Morgan Mentoring at Jumpstart has helped hundreds of mentees, some of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their innovative visions. Our guest today, Gerald Hetrick, serves as a Burden D. Morgan mentor alongside many other local founders and subject matter experts. These volunteers are passionate about sharing their time, talent, and lessons learned to grow and accelerate the next generation of entrepreneurial students and startup leaders. To learn more about Burden D. Morgan Mentoring and other free services available to Northeast Ohio entrepreneurs, please go to jumpstart.org startups. Burden D. Morgan Mentoring is made possible with funds from the Burden D. Morgan Foundation. You are now officially the 
first person to make a second appearance on there the podcast go. as a guest, which is which is really exciting to me, I think, when you think more holistically about the overstory of of entrepreneurship and, and and things going on here. So so well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, no worries. I'm super honored. And I guess um congratulations. Because when we did the first episode, was I the first episode? Number six. I was number six. So I was very early <laughs> and uh, did it, you know, sitting in a chair in my bedroom, locked down because of COVID. And I remember thinking, oh, another podcast, like, <laughs> can you really put together like a long, like sustain, sustainable podcast series about entrepreneurship in Cleveland? And uh, I'm super impressed. It's been how many episodes now? Like 130 plus, 150 in the bank. 100, 150. Uh, so yeah, I'm, uh, uh, at this point. It's not a. It's it's not your privilege for me to be here. It's my privilege to be here. So uh, so thanks for having me again. Well, I am very appreciative of of you being here as well, and I'm excited to to chat more about you know what what's transpired since. You know, I don't think we need to to go back through the origin story, if you will. When I thought about like what I wanted to focus on today, I'd really love to unpack in earnest your approach to the conclusion of the chapter to Abel, and subsequently your mentality, mindset, thinking around how to figure out what to do next. Sure. And then obviously, you know, we'll talk about Bezlio and the work you're doing now, but uh, kind of that that liminal space between the the two things. I mean, when we, uh, I guess at a high level, I'll just, I'll riff a bit and then. Yeah, um, yeah. So can, the, that, that our last conversation, just to to rewind the clock, I, I checked before we, we, yeah. we came here, we're, we're going back to, to January 2021. Okay. So, so you guys had just closed. Uh, oh, the deal had just closed. Yeah, yeah sure. Wow. I, I I don't remember. I can't remember anything I said in that last podcast. Um, <laughs> but I have uh, some bits of wisdom. I'll sure. Okay. Um, when we signed the LOI to sell Able, you know, call it four or five months before that, uh, you know, I was single track. Like we're gonna get this deal done. I was, you know, passionate and um, steadfast. That it was the right decision for the company, for the employees, for shareholders. Um, for myself. And so I, I frankly did not spend a lot of time at all on what was next. About a week or two before the close, I had some conversations with the um, leadership team at, at, at Bullhorn, who was our acquirer, and they were fantastic. And they we, we went through some of the different options I had if I was going to remain. You know, I was, not, and I don't even want to say I was being selfless. I just wasn't thinking. And, you know, my own personal you know, next step wasn't really in my mind. Again, not out of selflessness, just out of like need to focus on the close, right? I mean, oh, like, for sure. Because the funny thing about selling a business, particularly when there's bankers involved and a large private equity group involved, is that there it's all business until the the, the deal closes. And, and you're reminded constantly this could fall apart at any second. This, there's no guarantees. And yeah, so yeah. I just lived in this moment of getting it done. And then when the deal closed, I, you know, I took a day or two, um, you know, maybe recovered from our celebration, um, <laughs> you know, had, had a little bit of fun and then it was back to work and I did have a job. I had a role and I, I think, you know, I, at our last conversation, I was probably just starting to absorb what that role was. I'll say, I remember Dave Lohman told me, you know, you're going to hate the the six months after close. And, you know, Dave was our CFO at, um, at Able and, you know, a great friend and, you know, had kind of a great business coach for me along that journey. And because he had had some exits, he's like, "You're gonna hate this." I'm like, "Dave, how can that? How can that be? You know, it's I, you know, it's it's this great wind, this winding up of this chapter. We, we had a very intentional process. We did what we said we were gonna do. Everyone benefits greatly. Um, how can I? How can I hate the next period? He's like, "Well, you're gonna feel lost. You're gonna miss the. You're gonna miss. You know, you you were the problem solver, and then now there's no problems to solve." <laughs> um, I thought he was wrong. Of course, I thought the role that I was taking on Bullhorn was at Bullhorn was great. And then I just learned lots of hard lessons that. He, he was right, but you know, from a number of different angles. And so yeah. I probably floated in the ether of any clarity of what I wanted to do for quite a while after that. Yeah. What what were, were some of those lessons learned? Well, you know, I was sure that I can make rapid decisions about what to do next and not need to put a lot of thought into it. Like I was like, I'm such a whole person. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm so, um, you know, I have such a high emotional IQ and I've got it all put together and I'm all that. I, I don't need to like take any time for myself. I don't need to like, you know, go kind of find who I am again. I, I can, I can just make a rapid decision. An offer comes up here. I go and away I go. And so, you know, I made a couple of false starts. I made a few jumped in, you know, half in with the bullhorn roll um, and, and, and and with a couple other things. And it took me kind of a while to sort out what I really want to do next. And frankly, that's still a work in progress. Like it's still, I'm still in the pursuit of what does, 
you know, the next five years look like. Yeah, yeah. I've had two back-to-back founding to leaving journeys that have taken 15, 16 years combined with no time in between. And so now I'm, you know, in my kind of third chapter of like, what do I do next? And I think I've got it sorted out, but it's not, it's not easy. It's not, I guess the lesson learned is that it isn't going to be super apparent and it, it, you know, what you did before has nothing to do with what you're going to do next type thing. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll definitely go deeper in, into that, yeah. that whole world. But the, the, the last time we, we spoke, you had mentioned how much you had learned from your journey at MCPC, at Vox, about leadership, culture, strategy, you know, the whole startup process. Mm-hmm. If you now take your experience at Able and kind of layer it on top of that, that stack of experience, what, what do you feel are the, the earned lessons and, and wisdom that you're, you're taking with you from Able that you didn't have before? So great question. And, and at my new gig uh, at Bezlio, you know, we've, we're making some decisions to do things and a lot of, to, to, to operate our business and build our culture in a certain way. And, and, and some of that is purposeful based on me spending time in retrospect of what went well or didn't go right, didn't go well at Abel. Abel wasn't all rainbows and unicorns. It was, of course, a grind and, uh, you know, a, a journey of ups and downs. You know, I'd say that I operated by instinct quite a bit at MCPC and at Vox Mobile. And then I got, I kind of fell in love with my instincts and, you know, developed a bit of an ego. I remember we had an early meeting at Vox Mobile around and uh, in which Chris Snyder was encouraging us to be vulnerable and talk about, you know, what, what parts of ourselves we wanted to, we wanted to like better during the journey. And at that moment I had pretty low self-esteem. I didn't really feel like I fit in the room of leaders I was around. I quickly be, moved beyond that and started to buy into myself a little bit too much. Um, and when I got to Able, I, I kind of knew that I needed to not just operate on instinct and needed to put some some frameworks in place. But but ultimately, we we moved really fast and I, I made some good decisions and you know we we had a successful outcome. Still, there were there were things there were there were there were warts and scars and cracks and crevices that we had in that business that I was aware of along the way, and I kind of deprioritized needing to uh, needing to impact. Looking back at that, it's like, okay, I, I can see now how that affected our outcome. I can see yeah. why, you know, maybe being, a, you know, maybe maybe not driving alignment and accountability as strong as I could have. And I thought I did a pretty good job, but mostly based on my own voice, not based on any kind of framework or methods. And so looking back now, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to start another business. I can, you know, I want to, I want to start from the beginning, you know, making, you know, building, get, putting up, putting a process in place such that we have a strong foundation for alignment and accountability. Um, product is another one. So, you know, yeah. I'm, honestly at Able, I don't want to say I had a healthy disrespect for product. I didn't understand product. I, I really didn't get the difference between, you know, particularly the early years, the difference between, you know, observing needs and creating solutions to problems and then, you know, manifesting those into like, actual priorities for engineers. I didn't get the, the difference between that and just like putting a bunch of smart people in rooms and go build me something that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until like the second half of the journey that I realized the mistakes we'd made that holy, you know, frankly, holy shit, like we, we've got this thing lots of people are using, but we're kind of stuck in the mud as it relates to progress here. Like we can't really move it forward at the velocity we'd want to because we don't have a strong product process. So we brought in a, you know, a, a chief product officer, Dustin Brewer, who you know, who who was revolutionary for us, along with you know our CTO Dominic O'Connor, who was also you know a second half of that journey person. But we'd already made some mistakes, uh, and and we already had that you know the, the the cart was already out of the barn or whatever that that, that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that analogy is, um, and we couldn't like go turn the table. So looking back now at Bezio, we're building a whole new version of a product and taking it to market, and we're doing that like with a, a, with with product at the forefront, with like trying to be really good about how we think about product and, and not just, you know, build cool stuff because we think it's cool. Right, right. So I think being better about product, which is the more more specific thing, and then, and then you know, being even more stringent about forcing, a, uh, you know, alignment and accountability. In. Yeah. No, I, I think those are, those are really interesting re- reflections, particularly the idea of, like, how difficult it can be to address, you know, foundational things that, that weren't set up in the way that you now believe they should be yeah. versus, like, how much easier that that is to, from a blank slate, kind of set it up the way that that you would like it. When we, I mean, when we raised our Series A at Able, and we went out and built a team, you know, I, I felt all powerful for a moment there. I felt like, listen, I've, I've, I'm doing this, and we're growing month over month. The growth is happening. You know, where we're fighting through the hard challenges, we're addressing problems, we're we're, we're we're surfacing issues and solving those. I felt really good about that. And then, you know, in kind of 
you know, post close conversations with people I become great friends with or people on the journey. Like I learned, like it wasn't all that great for them all the time. Like, and sometimes <laughs> like it was just me trying to speak from a pulpit around, this is how we're going to do it and rah, rah, and get everyone together. And I just assumed that that all worked. And, you know, in retrospect and trying to be vulnerable, it didn't always all work. And so it can't just be me or some other leader just saying how it is. You have, you have to drive this notion of buy-in. And I always preach this, the, the concept of buy-in. I, you know, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, so I guess, I'm not saying, you know, I guess I'm not willing to step out on my ego enough to say it was bad, <laughs> but I think there's certainly opportunities to improve. And I and I'd I'd be um I'd be foolish if we didn't like you know try to like learn from that a bit. Yeah. Can you kind of take us through the whole bullhorn acquisition? Like how how much of that, you know, was was planned in advance? Where did it kind of come from strategically? You know, was that the direction you were ultimately trying to go? Yeah. Just kind of piece together the, the end of that chapter. Yeah, I mean, now that the deal's, you know, d- done and sunk in and we're, we're a couple of years down the road almost here, I mean, uh, the more detail is easier to share. I mean, ulti- the truth is, and there was a pitch meeting in early 2017. I had just agreed, I guess, to build and lead Employee Stream, as it was called then, with um, Aaron Grossman and Rob Sable, who were, you know, the CEO and CIO of um, of a talent launch staffing agency and they'd built this product inside the organization and they needed, you know, capital and leadership to kind of take it out and commercialize it and, and drive it. And so, yeah. you know, so I just agreed to do that and I decided that I wanted to build a business in Cleveland. I wanted to become part of and then become a presence inside of the tech startup ecosystem in Cleveland. And I intentionally wanted to raise money here in Cleveland. Those were those are things I said. And, and so the first version of the pitch deck we built, we went to Jumpstart. Um, we had a relationship with, with, with some folks at Jumpstart because they were investors in Vox Mobile. And I made a call to Jumpstart and you know, got invited in. Um, and, and, and Aaron and Rob had, our, had also had some early conversations with those folks. And the very first pitch deck I had had an exit slide on there. Um, and it said one of the opportunities to soft land the business was an exit to Bullhorn in three to five years. And it had numbers on there that were shockingly close to what we did. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to go as far as to say we planned that from the beginning, but like we knew that this ecosystem we were in, I was able to quickly identify the ecosystem we were in only had a few acquirers. There's only a few people that were going to buy growth oriented you know, SaaS businesses in, in the, in the, in the, in the market. And then, and thus the multiples that were being paid, there's only a couple of businesses that were going to buy. So all along, I think we kind of knew there was a possibility. I'll say though, the majority, the vast majority of the journey, the next four and a half of the, of the, of the five years were spent, you know, thinking that we, we were competitive to Bullhorn, you know, that we were certainly a partner of theirs and they were gracious partners and they were wonderful. You know, they did, they did wonderful things in the space, you know, but we thought we had a superior product and then we thought we were ahead of the, ahead of the market and the things that we did. And we thought we were, you know, tip of the spears related to, you know, candidate experience, which became such an important thing. And so we were, we were out to win, frankly, the clarity we had though, was that we were in a smaller market, you know, staffing while it's, you know, there's 10,000 plus traditional staffing agencies and, you know, a big bulk of the economy are contingent labor that goes through staffing agencies. The, the technology space there is is relatively small, and so we had a you know a couple different capital strategies. One is one of in which we would raise an appropriate amount of capital, be super capital efficient, and exit inside of staffing, or one in which we would pivot to a larger the larger commercial space, and we would compete in in, in HR tech, which is extremely crowded. Yep. <laughs> um, we would raise much larger rounds, and we would go we would go um you know try to get try to go for a, you know a vastly larger exit, and, and and our exit was great. So those those two strategies were kind of always in my mind. I had wonderful partners in the local investors here with North Coast and Jumpstart, and you know M twenty five out of Chicago, and ultimately. Plymouth out of uh, Ann Arbor, who led our led our, our Series A. We had wonderful partners, and they were very encouraging of you know me doing what I thought was right. And so as we as 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 twenty twenty was happening, uh, it became super clear that the, the market we had built, and frankly, I do believe we built the market, yep. um, had had now become a thing. The larger players had decided they were they were going to dominate the market, and so we had to compete or die. And so I started you know running some you know, informal processes around and having some conversations around, you know, sh- should we, should we be, be acquired by, by a couple of folks? There was only a couple of people out there. We, we had some conversations. We had some good relationships at Bullhorn. And so, you know, I met, I, 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 had, I had a on the floor, on a trade show floor conversation at, at one of the trade shows uh, that, that materialized quickly and wow. away we went. Yeah. It's fun. I always find the, like the strategic dynamic of playing nice in the sandbox with the person who is going to make that 
build by partner decision, yeah. you know, the frenemy kind of I mean, the, the, walking the line. One of the fun stories we have is we were um, the best show we ever had. We had a lot of leads from trade shows. One of the best trade shows we ever had was uh, they call it their Bullhorn Engage. It's their user conference. And it, I forget the year. It might have been 18. You know, we went there. We, had, we got 100 leads. And we probably converted 20 or 30 of those within three or four months. It was amazing. And then we were uninvited back the next year. <laughs> we were a partner, but, I mean, we kind of dominated the room. And, and they, they had a competing product because they, they had acquired a, a competing product. And so, I mean, they made the right decision. But we were uninvited from the show floor. We had a room like this, you know, the second or third floor back in a hallway. And it was a, it was a terrible event for us. And I remember feeling like, you know what? That's it. We're going to go win. So the only other, I guess there's lots of great moments of decision points in that story, but I did, I did do a pitch day uh, at Sierra Ventures out on the, on the, on the peninsula. I went out there. There was a couple other folks, uh, Chris Beck from uh, Performance was with, with, was with me and we, I pitched to 21 VCs. These are all larger funds, all invest in, you know, unicorn or bus type companies. Yep. And the responses from my pitch were awesome. Like people like that was incredible, really well-spoken, great pitch, super succinct. The responses to me, I felt were really strong. My two or three of them, like, hey, if we were to invest, would you move this business to, you know, to San Jose? Sure. The responses to the opportunity, given the market we were in, were, were, were just ho-hum. It, they were like, listen, you know, you, we would need uh, a lot, we, we, you would need to commit to, to bringing a lot of capital and an immediate pivot outside of staffing to a different place. And we just, as partners, sat around the table and, you know, that, that was a path, but we just didn't think it was for us right at that moment. Yeah. So you, Able is acquired by Bullhorn. You take some time to, well, I guess you thought maybe you didn't need the time to think about, you know. I did not take time. I started, I started, three days later, I joined the, the um, marketing leadership team meeting at Bullhorn as a, as a new, as a new employee. Three, like three days later, it was, it was incredible. So, you know, as, as you made your way through the, the, the post acquisition process, you know, at what point do you begin to think that you actually do need the time to think and like tabula rasa, clean slate, really intentionally figure out, you know, why it is you want to get back into the arena and where you want to, to focus your efforts and, and how do you just approach the, the whole process of, I mean, given your, your track record and, and, and success that you've had in earnest, you, you could do anything that you want. Sure. Right? So like, how, how do you begin to think about what it is that you actually want to do next? Well, I probably had three moments, um, 60-ish days after being at Bullhorn, I realized I was taking someone else's job, that I wasn't passionate about the role they had me in, that they were super gracious, and I had a great, great leader, and um, this gentleman, John Bedard, who led who led the product, product marketing at Bullhorn. I, and I just realized this was someone else's role. They, they had the right role. They had the right seat, I guess, using an EOS term. They didn't, or, or even a college term. They, they just didn't have the right person. I was not... I was not a fit for it, and um, and they were paying me well. And frankly, the future success of the product we had sold to Bullhorn was required that role to be really good, and I wasn't being really good. So that moment, I knew I needed to take a step back. I was very scared. I didn't want to take any time off. I didn't financially. I could have done it. Family would have been super supportive. In fact, my wife probably begged me to do it. I just didn't want to. I didn't want. I didn't want to like not have a job. I didn't want to feel like I was floating and then get used to that and then you know be forgotten. Frankly, I wanted to like. I wanted to be still be in the game. I, I was so um, so. I, I guess I, you know, left that role, took a, a job that ended up being a short term, a short stint, and then ninety ish days later from that. So I think maybe late summer of last year, I was like, wow, I ha- like I have to, I really have to step back. I did the math. I mean, I didn't spend time in college. I went right from, you know, I had a couple semesters at John Carroll, but I, I didn't. I went right from like high school to full-time work and never look back. Yeah. And that's, I'm four, I'll be 44 next month. I mean, it's, that's a long time of just go, go, go. And not saying that I deserve a break, whereas the majority of the American economy doesn't get that. But like, I, I felt, Hey, I, I've earned this little bit of time. So I need to, I literally just need to take a step back. So I, I don't remember the exact time, but I do remember thinking, I don't know exactly what's next. I'm going to go join impact architects with, uh, with Chris Snyder, who had built this great framework of a business for solo, I think he calls them solopreneurs or solo entrepreneurs to like do exactly what I want to do, which is take a little bit of a break, do some coaching and maybe do some consulting and then like just ease my way into it. And so that's what I did. I saw so late summer and I felt terrified, but also a little bit relieved that, you know, a couple of weeks into that, I'm like, okay, I can, I can recharge a bit here. I can figure out where I can go be a good version of myself, if not a great version of myself. And so probably, you know, late Q2, late Q3 or early Q4 last year. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely want to pull on the the coaching thread yeah. and, and we'll get to Bezlio sure. in there, but just kind of higher level question at that point in your reflections, 
what is that best version of yourself look like? You know, what, what is it that, that keeps you motivated? How are you thinking about like what it is to be successful at that point? You know, I have a wonderful wife and four incredible children. And I had through my journey of trying to build businesses, I went from a single guy living in Lakewood, you know, jumping on planes whenever I wanted to go around the world to, to having our third family home and having children in school. And I never really evolved myself in the context of being that person. I just evolved myself in the context of being better at building businesses. And so like my wife and my family kind of just went along that journey with me and I just drug yep. them through whatever. So they, so I, you know, I didn't realize the degree to which I could be moody or that I was, you know, I, you know, living, you know, unhealthy as related to just like physical health or that I, I needed to provide more than just like, you know, the money for people to have a great life. And I didn't, and frankly, I didn't even really figure that out in that moment to the to the degree at which I should have, but I, I just, I needed to think about my life as more than just like Gerald being successful at work. And uh, I don't know, like there's, there's probably a therapy session or two I should do <laughs> at one point to kind of dig into that. But like, I needed to be okay with not exactly, with not like succeeding or not like being in a room where people were impressed with me or doing something that worked or like making an employee be, but I needed to be okay with not doing that and just like living a good life otherwise. And like, and so it was tough. Uh, and I, I guess I'm still probably probably searching for that perfect version of myself to some degree, but I need, I just, I needed to like be more than just that, I guess. Um, and I, I didn't realize I needed that, that until I was in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about the, the, the coaching experience. Um, you know, what, what, what does that look like practically and, and, and what have you taken from it? Yeah. So Chris Snyder, who, you know, obviously impact architects and I co-founded Vox mobile. And in truth, you know, he was, he was way more of the founder than I was, although I was there from the very beginning. Uh, he took the bigger risks, um, because he, had, he, he, he had more than I had at that point. He had, he already had a family. And so it was easier for me. You know, when he left Vox, he went through a very similar journey of trying to figure out what the best for himself, both, you know, serving his, you know, his needs and his family's needs. And he landed in on doing coaching, specifically EOS. And uh, I observed that from afar because we're great friends. And I was always, you know, both like a little hesitant or suspect of that you could be fulfilled doing that, but also a little bit jealous at how free and easy and happy he always was. <laughs> and so um, um, I also just didn't, I just felt like, man, like just being in a room with a, with a, with a company for one day and like, and like leading them through some, some session um, and then I'm paying for you. That can't be enough value. Are you really delivering enough value in that moment? And so um, I would always tell Chris, like, I just feel like I'm taking money. And so he encouraged me to explore it a bit. And, you know, I've always, he's, he's, he's been a good mentor of mine. And so uh, my entree into coaching late last year was, you know, doing that, like, you know, not doing, you know, pure EOS or, or, or anything, but like picking topics and spending a day facilitating offsites, whether it be on go-to-market or product market fit or, um, or any number of topics or organizational setup. And like, and not like making decisions for businesses, but helping them get to the right decision. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I would leave those sessions feeling so friggin' energized. Like, holy cow, that was fun. And I can like move on and not think about that specific thing anymore because I can go to the next one. Like, so I kind of realized that no matter what I do for the next chapter or two of my my story, I, you know, I will, um, I. To the extent I have board investors and employees and coworkers and partners that are okay with it, I want to do some coaching along on the side. Like I, like I want to go. I want to stick my nose in a couple other businesses um, in, in a way that allows me to, you know, add value in little rapid bursts, and then let leave them to do their thing and come back. And so I'm still exploring, you know, how that'll work out. I've, I've, I'm actually next week. I'm going to Detroit to um, uh, do the EOS boot camp, and yeah. I'm pretty excited to be a professional EOS implementer and get six or seven clients that I can I can help in that way. But I, I just I, I I really kind of converted from being a bit skeptical that that could be great into like feeling the exhilaration of seeing wow moments inside these rooms that I, I, I didn't have to be a participant in from a, an execution, but I could be contextually aware enough to help, help facilitate them to those moments. And that, that was, that's been fun for me a lot. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I'll ask the, the, what maybe the initial inclination of skepticism was like, what, what is the impact of coaching? What, what have you seen those, those wow moments be like, and how should people think about coaching? Yeah, so I, uh, great question, and um, and I'll, so maybe start a little bit farther down the, the process. So we're we're getting ready to do um, to implement EOS at 
um, Bezlio. Yeah, uh, we we might be a bit small for it, but that's okay because I love the, the I love the principles that or the you know the the outcomes we can have. Right. And well, so, you talked about getting the right foundation. Sure, in place. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to implement, we're not going to self-implement and I'm not going to implement it. And John Carpenter, who's done EOS coaching is, is who runs ops for us. He's not going to implement it because we have to be, I think, I think we really need to be vulnerable participants in the process um, to get the best benefit from it. So looking at it from that lens, I, I think the, the opportunity as a coach to frankly not have the biases and jade, jadedness or the, the, the politics that exist inside business to not be part of that, but to help people like really try to get vulnerable and like, Help them a understand what they really what they want from the business, and then agree or buy into the things they need to do to get there, and 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 do that like really trying to drive vulnerability and open mindedness. That's just been fascinating, and what I've learned, and I frankly I existed in this ego to ego in my head for years, thinking I'm really good in rooms of people. I can draw. I've I've always been able to build teams, and yeah. so why can't I just do? I can do that. I don't need someone else standing in front of the room coaching us how to be a great business, I can do that. And I've learned like I, that's, you know, maybe in spite of, uh, you know, in spite of some of those, um, you know, those, those, those flaws, we've been successful, but there's, there's so much more beyond that. If you just, if you open up a little bit, you allow someone else to take you through the, take you through the, the journey. So, you know, I was never the most coachable kid in sports. Um, <laughs> I was never the most uh, coachable person in school, which is probably why I, I didn't survive very long in college. Um, uh, but I've like, I'm eager to kind of break through that ceiling take my, uh, my lessons, um, that I've learned and be very coachable in the, in the process as a participant. And I, and I think that that just enables me further to be a good coach to other folks. Yeah. What do most businesses and leaders of those businesses not understand about go to market and product that, that, you know, you're, you're trying to, to manifest and bring to the table. Oh, I mean, product is, I mean, go to market is the, is the hardest one. So the, the reality behind the business isn't so. I've, I'm I'm intentionally involved in early stage startups. I, I just I I just want to work in people that have like such an urgent desire and urgent need because they've taken capital to grow. Like I, growth is I, I just I'm 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 so addicted to the notion of growth. I think the the biggest thing I see on go to market and by the way I've I've gotten this wrong a lot. So but the biggest thing I see on go to market is uh, people sometimes think fast is the answer and there's you know skipping of steps. There's there's easy there there's there's needed things like figuring out who your real customers are and like yeah. can you really succinctly say what the problem you're solving and are you actually solving a problem? Like there's just things like that you know, that are important to figure out, uh, you know, we have limited resources in these early stage startups and, you know, finding, you know, doing all the activity to get enough experimentation in place, identifying what leverage you have, whether it's like, I can find leverage in direct sales or in channel sales or in, you know, whatever. And then like investing in that leverage is I think the secret sauce. Um, and then like, Get helping founders figure out if they're like, are they go-to-market founders? Are they technology founders? I think that's that's kind of a, a fun thing. And and then you know, being willing to be open-minded and vulnerable to 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 make changes on the fly, I think is a is a, is is a, is a real thing. So anyway, I've my, my go-to-market coaching has mostly been very framework-oriented. Like, listen, you know, we don't have to reinvent any wheel here. We're here. Yeah. We are we are in a, a a you know the history books will be written about, about the last thirty years in our country, and it'll be like there's this massive boom in technology, and like most of the successful B two B SaaS Companies operated the same way. Totally, it's already all been figured out, and so let's don't try. We don't need to be smarter than anyone. So that's on the good market side. On the product side, I, I can preach what you should do in product. I'm not really great at knowing the the framework of that. I'm learning. I'm learning along at the same time. Yeah, I mean that it all resonates very much. If there if there is any selfish part of this podcast for me, it is that it's all been about trying to figure out the best of what other people have already figured out. Yeah. And you just, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. No, I, I, I mean, like, <laughs> like, like I, I'm, I am the world's least creative startup guy ever. I've <laughs> like, everyone asks me all the time, how come you just figure out your own idea and go start it? I'm like, cause I don't have any new ideas. Right? <laughs> like I'm just really good at, uh, at, you know, things have already worked for other folks and let's just, let's, let's use those and let's, but let's be willing to execute them. So, so with that in mind, Tell, tell us about Bezlio. Yeah, so Bezlio, um, I couldn't be more excited about Bezlio. So Bezlio is a company that was founded by two sets of brothers, the Adam and Brian Ellis and Seth and Eli Remington. Uh, and they they all actually had a uh, manufacturing technology consulting company called SaberLogic for many years. Very successful. They did great work. And, and like a lot of folks, I think they got excited about the notion of building a SaaS business and, and changing their revenue model. And so 
at about the same time Abel was being formed and call it 2017, 2018 timeframe, Bezlio was. Um, so we were in the same circles. We had like the same investors. Um, we had the same fractional CFO. I mean, we, we were frankly very similar businesses, one in Akron, one in Cleveland. Their whole uh, notion was that manufacturing companies needed technology to allow um, shop floor employees to interact with the data inside of the ERP. And they would they they built a platform in which manufacturing companies could develop their own interfaces to go do that. Yep. Um, I think it was a really good idea, not particularly market tested, in that um, they learned along the way that shop for that manufacturing companies didn't actually have uh, engineering departments. That even if it was low code or no code, that they weren't actually really prepared to go build those solutions themselves. And so they raised some money and they they made a good run at it and they got a little bit of traction. And you know then you know like like product market fit off often does to a lot of us. It Kind of, kind of stalled, and, and they, didn't, they didn't quite get to that next level. And so, um, because I was closely connected to the investors and to the folks around them, and, and even to Adam and Brian, um, yeah. I stayed, you know, relatively, relatively close to what they were doing. When we exited Able, a number of folks picked up the phone and called me and said, "Hey, are you interested in kind of helping out with Bezlio?" Um, and to be honest, I, I just I wasn't in a place yet where I like I could go burden some small small startup with like all the things we just talked about before, like where I wanted to land. And so I, um, I wasn't prepared to do that. But last year when I did my, when I decided to kind of stop working full time and I, and I was going to join impact architects and do coaching and advisory services, they were the, uh, the first kind of real customer I had. So, you know, powered by jumpstarts, grit and determination to make the business something. And by Brian Ellis's, you know, unwavering belief that he was going to build a business, they had survived. And, uh, they asked me to kind of help out and, Basically, I joined as like a fractional CEO. That sounds absurd, but, you know, <laughs> a fractional CEO spending a couple of days a week, like helping figure out what we had with very, very clear, you know, I was very clear that, you know, I'm going to, we're going to land with like, we don't have anything and we should unwind this, or there's really something here and we should go spend great time on it. Um, and I'll obviously landed at the the ladder, um, realized that Bezio had six or 70 phenomenal customers that were extremely happy that had a product that people were enjoying, um, that had, you know, again, uh, industry expert in Brian Ellis that, you know, you could build a business around, uh, like, and be excited about it. Um, and then we, it was just a go-to-market kind of challenge. It was just a, um, you know, ultimately we needed to do a few things on the business side, but, you know, we had everything we needed to, to really go at it. So I fell in love with the opportunity. I yeah. asked the investors, hey, like, like, would you be willing for me to join this full time and to kind of lead this business? And everyone said yes. And we raised uh, we we raised about four and a half million dollars. Um, you know, we're calling it we're unapologetically calling it a relaunch of the business. But I mean, you know, frankly, we're investing a lot of that in you know in in, in product and marketing going forward. And we're really excited about the about the next phase. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. It's very exciting. So what what is the the vision for the future? Where where are you going to take this business? You know, Bezlio's whole. The, the, the solution we provided, again, was about the shop floor at manufacturing companies having access, the you know, people who work on the shop floor having access um, uh, to the to data that lives in the ERP. So basically entering in what they're doing and consuming data. It was it was all about trying to make the data more accurate. And, you know, there was down channel benefits, uh, you know, inventory levels being more accurate or you know, shipping notices being more accurate, all, all, basically all the activities. And so, but, but Brian's had this really great vision. And I'll, I'll be a bit coy about this because we're, we're, we are launching a completely new generation of the product. Yeah, uh, yeah. Honestly, we're rebranding the whole business. There's going to be a whole new launch, and so we'll oh, we'll come out. And so, so a little bit, a little bit. This is on the, I guess, on the down low, if you will. But um, we do believe that there's a much bigger opportunity to impact the productivity level of manufacturing shop floors. We think that really the people that are super inspired by what they're doing because they believe they've done a great job because they've done the things the, the things they're supposed to do next. And they've done those right. Those people will build great products, and the people who build great products will be great manufacturers. And manufacturing is the backbone of the economy. And so, um, we've got this pretty big vision that we can you know we can drive workforce productivity, workforce happiness, and outputs at the manufacturing level by delivering like really simple. Um, you know, user-centric interfaces that 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 walk people through what they're supposed to do the right way at the right time, um, and so we're kind of taking this the early vision of of, of giving access to data and, and taking it a couple steps forward to um, to driving activities the right activities you know in a workflow way. So our vision is to um, you know to to launch that. We've got four signed beta customers of you know larger signed beta customers. Uh, we've got an MVP customer that's been fantastic that we're building that with, and we are super excited about the early results of what we're seeing. So, like all 
really super creative people like myself. We come up with great code names. We're calling the new product Gen 2, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which doesn't mean we won't continue selling Gen 1. <laughs> we're, 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 you know, we've just kind of re-entered customer acquisition mode and started to generate leads on first version. But, but we're very excited. Um, and, I, and I'm just excited because it's a, it's a big market. It's so fun to do these tours of shop floors and see stuff being made. Like it's like tangible outcomes. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, we've got customers who make chairs. We've got customers who make burritos. We've got customers who make heating elements for semiconductor containers to carry to to, to carry around chips. I mean, it's it's it, we've got we've got customers who make um, who make uh, components for de for defense systems. It's it's been wild to see some of these these shop floors and to see actual stuff happening and feel like you can be part of that is is uh it's pretty easy to to connect passion to that. And so, you know. I've I've started to put together a team. We brought in a you know a wonderful gentleman named Greg Gortz to run Go to Market for us from Loom. We just added a, a director of products. Um, uh, he's got a PhD in learning, and he joins next week. Brought John Carpenter, who was with me at Able and at, at Vox, to you know to run ops. You know Brian, Brian's Brian's you know super happy, kind of evolving into a very customer oriented role. So oh, yeah, yeah, I'm really really excited about it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's also I think just from from my perspective, pretty exciting because it it feels like one of those classically historically underserved markets. And you talked about the happy customers. Like I, I'm sure that, I, mean, I don't know, like how many people have really honed in on trying to improve this whole process? Well, I mean, status, so markets can be served by status quo. So if you go look at the amount of money that's, you know, investment capital that's poured into manufacturing technology, it's staggering. But you look at the available solutions and there are, there are some very large companies and there's some really, there's some ERP solutions that, you know, tens of thousands of people are using. But I don't think the tech has been has really evolved significantly in a while, and so like status quo is the notion that we've been serving the markets with status quo type software. And so yeah, I mean we're 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 taking a I mean we're building some you know modern product to solve what we think is a as a is a legacy problem to to try and help organizations be more modern in how they how they compete. I mean. We can use all the buzzwords in the world, compete against China or, you know, keep jobs here, whatever, yeah, whatever it American is. American dynamism. I mean, yeah, right. Exactly. But I mean, but manufacturing in, in, in America is like the eighth largest economy in the world. <laughs> so there is a lot of opportunity to improve that. And and from what I've seen, you know, walking around in these plants, people are working really, really, really hard. And there's a tremendous opportunity to give them tooling to to do their jobs better and be happier how they do it. Yeah. No, it's, it's very compelling. And do you still have this... Build it in Cleveland, ship on your shoulder. Yeah, without 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 a question, like we're <laughs> we're doing it here. I mean, I, I um, it would. I mean, it would take a familial event or you know an earth shattering um type of opportunity to move to to try to move this business outside of Cleveland. I mean, ultimately, to be frank, you know, while Akron is part of, I guess, part of Cleveland, depending on how you look at it, we yes. we, we moved the HQ up from Akron here here. In a, we're in Midtown Cleveland. We're cohabitating with Felix, which is another wonderful startup right around the corner from Jumpstart. I've told all the investors, uh, you know, I to the extent to, until they can't give me any more money, I want to take Cleveland money. Uh, we want to hire, you know, folks here, and we really want to build it. I'd love to. I'd love to have a a great another great story here in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, you've you've already given us a few already, <laughs> so I'm I'm hopeful as well. As you you know reflect on on all of it so far, how how is your thinking, mentality, optimism around Cleveland as an ecosystem? How is that evolved? If everyone just, if maybe I said this before, but I do believe this way, like if it's easy to not do it here, right? It's easy to say, let's take the business to Austin or let's go to the coast or let's go to St. Louis or Chicago or let's go to Columbus. It's easy to make those decisions. And frankly, some of them might give us an earlier head start. I do believe a bunch of us have to decide to not do that and to stay here yeah. to create a generation of technology innovation that's we may we might not even be able to participate in. And I and I feel more so than I did last year, and certainly more so than I did five years ago, that that is happening. I feel like there are you know there are a, 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 some return founders. There's there's other folks who have exited business that have decided to build businesses here in Cleveland. You know, we've got a rising tide of activity happening in in the tertiary markets connected to, you know, can, uh, tertiary opportunities connected to startups. And we're sitting here in, you know, Vivid Front's uh, podcast studio right now. And, you know, they're serving a bunch of startups here in Cleveland. I just, I feel like there's more things happening. I, 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 th I don't think the hard work has even really started yet. Like, I think we've got a bunch of things still to do. And I think a lot of people need to be accountable to, you know, driving the city forward. But but I, I'm I'm all in. Like there's I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready oh, to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome. <laughs> Is there anything that you've you've changed your mind about recently, from from like 
you know, prior held beliefs about business, startups, ecosystem that, that you no longer believe? Wow. As part of my journey to becoming a professional EOS coach, you have to come up with your story. And this is like a one minute presentation of yourself. And some of this, like, I of course have to suspend some of my own like disbelief. Like I'm, I've been doing this for 25 years. I don't need you to tell me how to build my story, but I mean, I'm, I'm willing to go through their process. And, you know, I, honestly, I think the biggest one we've already touched on is like, I, I didn't really believe three years ago that you needed like a, like a, like a written down framework for how you operate your business. I frankly just didn't, I thought you could, you could do it without that. And I thought some of that was just overhead and burden. But I, but I've been looking back, trying to trying to look back at myself as I'm building my story and, and think, okay, my, my father was actually is was an entrepreneur his entire life. Like he started started so many businesses, and frankly, there most of them were failures. Um, he, there was a lot of like grow for a couple months and then crash and burn. And my father was a dreamer. I mean, still is lives in Tampa. Maybe he'll hear this and maybe not. I don't know, maybe he'll be mad about me talking about it or not. I, I don't know. But like he was a dreamer. He always dreamed wealth and big opportunity were just around the corner from him. Whether it was like going to play the right lottery numbers or going to start the right Avon business uh, or going to build the next great electrical company or it, it was, there was an, any number of, of, of endeavors. And I just thought the impracticality of it was so clear. Like, this is just ridiculous. Like, get a job, go to work, feed your family. That's the American dream. Like, what are we doing here? And so I've, I spent a bunch of my like early, late teenage years, like thinking, never thinking entrepreneurship was my way. I was going to be the best IT guy. I was going to end up being the CIO of some university one day and away I went and, you know, no big deal. Yeah. I stumbled either accidentally or, or by some, you know, subconscious calling into entrepreneurship. And I just operated because I have really fairly good instincts and good decision-making. And so along the way, I realized I was right about both those things. Like in the past, particularly the past like 12 or 24 months, realizing like entrepreneurship is, somewhat impractical, but you can add a pragmatic lens to that. And, 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 and a system like EOS or a system or, or, or some other sort of business operating system gives you the framework to kind of like thrash against it as an entrepreneur with, with dreams, but like operate super pragmatically and super practically. And so while I was always kind of like those things were kind of competing in my head and I just felt like I could do it without something, I have definitely changed my mind over the past um, little while that like you need a system. And I guess so much so that I did not put a system like EOS inside of Able intentionally. Frankly, had had the starts of it and pulled back and said no. So we don't need it. And now we're you know we're we're, we're certainly doing it differently uh, at Bezlio because I think we can be even that much better. Yeah. I know that's a little bit of a I kind of cheated on that answer because we've already talked about it, but it's it's, no, the, best, I, it's the best I have right yeah, now. Yeah, no, th thank you for yeah. for sharing that. I mean, so, something that that Chris Snyder has mentioned that's always stuck with me is you know basically every business has an operating system, but it's either and a framework, but it's either intentional yeah, or, or it's un not. Unintentional, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's helpful to be intentional about it. Thank you. Yeah, I guess that that's that is the. I guess I now don't believe that like me tr me me trying to be super smart is the is the best thing. Like we, you know, we, we need an intentional approach to it. Yeah. Is there anything we we haven't covered here that you think is particularly important to to share about your journey, the work to be done at Bezlio? Uh, I, I share with you right as we were sitting down. My grandmother died uh, this past week, passed away. She was 86, and I'm um, going to Louisiana. It's right when we're done here to, to, to back to my hometown, to um, uh, or I guess my, my where I was raised. Cleveland's my hometown yeah, yeah. now, but where I was raised uh, to see family and to to celebrate my grandmother. I'm I'm going to give a eulogy, and as I'm as I'm writing the eulogy, I literally have a section there. I'm like, man, it's so dangerous in giving a eulogy because you like you you're going to say you're going to forget some story, you're going to forget some favorite aunts that you should bring up in the process. <laughs> and I guess that to 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 um you know, create a parallel. It's a little bit dangerous doing this as well because, you know, some people will listen to this and I'll get a text like, hey, you forgot to mention that or like, how come you didn't say so-and-so's name? So I guess the only thing I want to mention is that this is, you know, the success of Abel or, you know, my own personal successes are, are, are literally, you know, my portion of that is is luck. The, you know, the, you know the, 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 that was all done on the back of like an incredible group of people that maximized opportunity. You know, I, I think, I can't think enough, you know, the investors, the local investors here, you know, the jump starts and, and North Coast and um, and frankly, a, a tremendously, a tremendously active group of angel investors that supported support all sorts of endeavors. I think we've we've got a great a great eco an emerging but great ecosystem there. Um, you know, I can't think enough of the you know the people that have been on this journey multiple times with me, or that I get to be on the journey multiple times with them. And that's amazing. And then you know, obviously all of our you know all of our families who get to support us through this whole pro these processes. I you know they're they're all the real heroes in this, and we're just kind of like you know maximizing the lucky opportunities that jump in front of us. Yeah, you you, you know you talked about your your inflated ego. That's that's some sincere humility right there. So. Appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> 
and gratitude. Well, I'll, I'll ask you our, our traditional closing question. And I, I did revisit the tapes here, so you'll oh, have to boy. come up with something new. But it's it's for the hidden gems in Cleveland. And you you spoke about uh, uh, Lake Erie Islands and Kelly's Island specifically. So, you know, you can reflect on that one, but, you know, any anything else about Cleveland and Northeast Ohio that other people should know about? Oh, man, I can't. I'm so mad that I said that before because <laughs> since then, our evolution, we, we, my family's actually, we've, we've, um, we've acquired a little place uh, in Catawba, and we've been spending even more time there. And we just, <laughs> the, in the last three weekends, we were both at Kelly's in Putin Bay with friends and family and had a wonderful time there. So I'm, I'm mad I said that. Um, I guess I'll go with the Metro Parks. So, I moved last time we talked. I just moved into my new house. We moved out of so we lived in Hinkley, a southern suburb, um, and Hinkley was you know right kind of in the midst of the of, of large metro parks. And now I live in Avon, um, in a in a in a western suburb, and learning more about the Lorraine County metro parks out there. I, I don't think people understand the green space opportunity we have here. I mean, it's oh, yeah. it is. Even if you when you fly in, if you if you're on a if you're on a, a northern approach into Cleveland and you get a chance to, to fly over like the Rocky River Reservation and fly over the river, I mean there is in, we have incredible outdoor green space opportunity and a lot of like great topography in this area. And my wife is a just a lover of um, of hiking and that and oh, yeah. whatnot. So. I think, you know, hidden hidden gem would be like spend time in those areas. Like you don't have to travel three hours away to find beautiful outdoor outdoor opportunities here. So Yeah. It's it's all right here. Yep. <laughs> cool. Well, Gerald, I just wanna thank you for being the first time second guest and uh coming back on the podcast. Super honor, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. If if people had anything they wanted to Follow up with you about your coaching, Bezlio. What's the the best way for them to do so? Uh, well, I mean, I'm super. I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can find me. Hit me up on LinkedIn. You can email me at uh, Gerald at ImpactArchitects.io. I'm also at Gerald at Bezel.io. And uh, I mean, it's that hard to find me around around town. Uh, you know, a lot of people know me. It's easy to get in contact mm-hmm. with me. Bezel.io is good. It's Bezlio. That that's, that's how pretty, it came about. I don't listen. I, I mean, we're, cha- we're we are changing the name of the business to kind of refresh things. So. Don't fall in love with it too much. Got it, got it. (laughs) Clever though. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Gerald. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.